Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Driving Wall Show. Hi, I'm Paul and I'll be your host this evening. On the show this evening, we have a stacked load of uh, rugby topics to go through, uh, including... Obviously, the Silver Lake issue uh, with um, New Zealand Rugby and the New Zealand Rugby Players Association. We'll be having a chat um, about a potential new um, sponsor for the All Blacks jerseys. Um, the uh, We'll having attack talk about attacking systems. And um, luckily, I've actually got a coach on today who knows about this kind of stuff rather than just my um, opinion on the sidelines. Um, we'll have a talk about some of the uh, the news and obviously trans-Tasman travel bubbles. <laughs> Poor, that is a mouthful, um, will be part of the conversation as well. And joining me to go through all of that, um, I've got Boa. How are you doing, sir? Very well. I hope everyone had a great Easter. I hope the Easter Bunny visited you. You had heaps of chocolates, successful <laughs> Easter egg hunts. Um, hopefully you didn't indulge too much. But yeah, no, great weekend. Thank you. Um, and I trust everyone is well. Trust everyone is safe. Very, very excited about Triple TB, the trance. Tasman travel bubble. Mm. Well, and uh, also Stephen Harris. Stephen, we have a new triple T. We don't just have, he's not just a scrum half anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it makes a bit of a change there, guys. Um, hey, listen, good, great to be on the show once again. Always a privilege and a pleasure to be on the TV. And uh, so, as I have got Boa, uh, actually, no, let's just go through a couple, I guess, a couple of news items um, to, to, at the top of the show before we get into our long discussions. Unfortunately, uh, Sam Kane has a pectoral injury um, and will be out for the rest of Super Rugby Altera. A real shame for the All Blacks captain um, there. Uh, and it will also be missing the initial All Blacks test matches. Um, so, Boa and Stephen, who do you think uh, A comes in? At, who, who think wears the number seven jersey for the All Blacks and who would be the captain as well? Well, I have to say I'm a bit biased. I'm a true blues man. So Dalton Papa Lee and also his his form in the recent couple of weeks has been outstanding. Uh, you know, I think he's I think he's clear clear cut front runner. Um, and also, what I like about him is he brings that element of versatility and physicality, which is something we've you know strangely lacked at number seven for the ABs, uh, more so in attack than defense. So for me, 
Papa Ali, uh, a very clear topic. Wow, I, I used to one of the names. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said clear, but uh, Stephen. Oh, listen, uh, Dalton is, is definitely uh, in in the mix. I suppose Artie would be be in the mix, but that means you probably have to look around for a, for a number eight. And I'm not too sure if the All Black uh, uh, selectors would want to go down that path. Although uh, Nocturnal Rights probably agrees with me on that respect. But if you look around at the current sevens that are that are putting their hand up at this very minute, yeah. Dalton Papali um, springs to mind. He's, his form has been pretty consistent um, throughout Super Super Rugby, and that's even that's sort of even before he just uh, was away for a couple of weeks with with injury. He's been consistent, and I, I just like the fact that he is physical. And as by what I said, he he carries really well. He's well, a really good carrier of the ball, and he gets he gets his fair share of uh, turnovers as well. Yeah, I I think he's in in the mix, and yeah, you'd have to you'd have to say I'm biased as well. I'd be looking at Dalton Papa Ali. Um, yeah, so also, uh, the I mean, is the obvious. Uh, I think is the obvious one, but then as you say, that does require a reshuffle uh, and potentially somebody diff- somebody coming in. Well, and definitely somebody coming in at eight if that happens um, in there. Um, and I guess it comes down to what do you want from your from your loose trio? Um, Nocturnal rights have a big athletic number eight, but uh, they're looking at having a big athletic number six. In someone like Akiriwani, who did very well last year, or or Shannon Frizzell. So yeah, it'll be interesting. It's about and the back row is always about balance, folks. It's um not necessarily uh, about a number seven has to do this, a six has to do that, and an eight has to do that. It's about getting the balance between those three players. Talking about available people, then, and um, Tony Brown has said that the six that was stood down um, last weekend uh, for the Highlanders are all back in contention. For this weekend, uh, then having that one one week off is is considered to be uh, sufficient punishment. Boys, are you happy with that, or do you th- or, or uh, do you think some repeat offenders should potentially have uh, spent a, a longer amount of, of step stand down, or do you think uh, one week for all all six uh, treating equally is the right way forward? Yeah, look, one week uh, you know clearly sent a good message, and Tony's the sort of guy is from a coaching point of view. You know, he's, he's pretty strong on the culture. But look, the the wonderful thing is the Islanders played far better rugby and upset the Crusaders at Christchurch. So this now throws up a dilemma. Why change a winning formula? And for me, the biggest difference from a playing point of view or a technical perspective was Josh Giovanni. Now, this kid is the worst tackler in the Super Rugby Arthur competition. He just can't tackle. He just stands up and leans onto people hoping that a court hanger would stick. So you take that out of the equation. You had a guy in Mitch Hunt filling those boots. It, you know, it re-energized the whole thing. It just goes to show when you change the status quo and when you take out players who have this attitude of, yep, we're we're an incumbent, we're a shoe in, you know, you gotta rattle the cage, you gotta disrupt that line of thinking. So yeah, as far as punishments go, yeah, I think one week is is probably more than adequate, but some of the information coming out is is quite uh, is, is concerning. The right right term, uh, loud house parties, and I mean, you know, I, I get these guys want to have a good time, but in in the modern age of professionalism, you know, this sort of thing is uh, from a high performance point of view not acceptable. So I think one week's fine. Message has got through, but if I was Tony Brown, I wouldn't change a thing going into this next week. Yeah, Stephen, there's a big difference between being available and actually getting picks, isn't there? Yeah. Very- <laughs> 
Very much so. I, I actually think he'll he might incorporate a couple of these guys <clears throat> back into back into this team. Um, you know, um, Michaeli too, especially will will basically offer them a lot more power power at the at the back of the back of the scrum and compliment um, Frizzell as well. So I, I can see him coming back in. But they've got they've, listen, they've got um, two home games coming up, and they're really important games. Because those those two wins over these next two weeks against the Chiefs and the Blues puts them in, in a real prime position to actually make that uh, that final. So um, I, I still think he will bring some of this personnel back into the team. Whilst there were guys that did reasonably well, Scott Gregory probably played his best game for the um, for the Highlanders and and and, and those Highlanders in the in that jersey. I still think he's going to bring pull some of these guys back in. Yeah, I think some will come back in. Um, and I think it's also the right thing to do because otherwise there might be a feeling within the camp that uh, whilst he's saying that there's only been punished for one week, perhaps he is uh, adding extra punishment. And so I think, yeah, I think reintegrating them into the into the squad, uh, in match squad is important there. Um, on Paul, that one. Paul, I was going to say, just remember on the night, they implemented a very, very good game plan, you, you mm. know, especially driven by Mitch. Mitch Hunt, he's he's guy, he's one guy that probably on form shouldn't lose his place, and I agree with 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 Boa there. With Yuani's a good young player, but at the moment you put the guy in there who's in hot form, and Mitch Mitch, you know Mitch Hunt's performance was absolutely fantastic. You know, if there's any lessons to be learned out of what we saw last Friday night, if you're playing playing the Crusaders, play the long game. Don't put high kicks up from inside your 22 or just outside your your 22 because they actually feel the, the high kicks really well. What the Highlanders did really well was put longer kicks into their territory, force them to play back into the territory. They were able to put enough heat on at breakdown and pick up penalties. So, uh, you know, some game plans will work for specific teams. Um, but, you know, we all, we all rate Tony Brown as a coach and to implement a, a style of game plan You'll also have to have the players that can implement that plan. Yep, no, absolutely. I think, as you say, I think Mitch Hunter has got himself the 10 jersey. Uh, now, whether Josh Wani comes in at 15 or off the bench, we'll have to just um, wait and see. But I expect him to be involved in the match day squad somewhere um, on uh, that one. Um, somebody who will not be involved this weekend, though, is unfortunately Thomas Manga Jensen, uh, who has um, sadly broken his wrist. So he is out for the rest of the season um, as well. And Barassi nodding there. Yeah, massive loss. I thought, uh, you know, outstanding, outstanding player, you know, some real silky, subtle skills. So just real bad luck, uh, bad timing. But, you know, these things happen. And uh, knowing knowing the young man, he'll probably come, come off a lot stronger, work harder. Uh, but certainly someone who will be will be missed. And just adding to what uh, sorry, Nocturnal was on, on the chat there saying, couldn't disagree more that uh, Joshua Arne is, uh, is a great tackle. Well, I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree, Nocturnal. <laughs> Uh, Josh Johan, if you look at the amount of missed tackles and the type of tackles he's missed, uh, he's got very, very, very poor tackle technique. In fact, I was going over some workshops, and this is nothing personal. I did pull out some video footage on how not to tackle, and guess who featured the most? Yeah. Joshua Johanne. <laughs> oh, dearie me. So that's uh, those are the most sort of news articles that I can think of. Um, I Actually, uh, I guess in the other news ones, uh, Stephen, the uh, North Harbour Club competition has uh, kicked off, hasn't it? And you were there at the weekend. So uh, I guess in news, club, club club rugby is on the way back. Yes, it is. And um, 
boy, Takapuna, they put a, a marker in the sand straight away with a very, very good victory, 52 points to 15, after they led by 26 points to 8. I'm, I'm speaking to uh, their the coaches. They had a very, very good off-season, and it it very much showed, and it's going to take a really, really good side um, to, to knock over uh, Takapuna in, uh, in this year's competition. Of course, I'll just quickly go through the... Uh, the rest of the results in the first round. Obviously, Takapuna beat uh, beat East Coast Base 52-15. North Shore, the other team who will be well well and truly in contention, 44 over Glenfield 12. Now, Glenfield haven't had a senior team in the competition, or they didn't have a senior team in the competition last year, and I don't think they had a senior team in the competition the year before. So great to see them back. North Cape 50, Mahut only 17, as expected. A real close one for the Battle of the West between uh, Kumu and Massey Kumu coming out on top, 18 points to 14. And in our final game, North Harbour Marist with somewhat of an upset over Silverdale, 17 points to 12. So a couple of blowouts, but in between then, some very, very uh, close scores. Uh, uh, Paul, of course, um, Northland uh, uh, Premier Rugby also started uh, uh, last week, or the second round, beg your pardon, we saw some interesting results on the weekend. Would have loved to have got up there, but they were either played on Thursday night or on the Friday. Just quickly go through those results. Uh, Ngati Henemorewe, United Kawakawa beat uh, Hikorangi 17-13. Wellsford too good for uh, Horahora, 34 points to 7. A real tight one between uh, last year's beaten finalists, Mid-Northern and Old Boys. But Old Boys Marist coming out on top 21-19. And the other results um, uh, from Friday, these two games played on Friday. Kamo 21, Western Sharks 14. And finally, last year's uh, champions, Waipu, were held to 24 all by uh, Kitty Kitty. So that pretty much wraps up uh, uh, Club Rugby in North Harbour and North of the course, the Auckland Club competition starts this weekend. So, folks, what I will in- endeavour to do from this week onwards is to have the uh, tables and results as a graphic while uh, and we'll have a club rugby section every week looking at how particularly the, the, the top north of, north of the North Island goes as that's where we live and those are the games we get to. So we can uh, give you a bit more uh, colour around those. Stephen will be out and about around various uh, clubs doing post-match reactions. Uh, Boa uh, will be uh, no doubt at all of the Manukau Rovers games. Um, and I will be at, well, at least Thames Valley's games uh, and uh, hopefully some others um, as well. With Because uh, as I'm helping out with Waihee Rugby Club this season. So all of us are club rugby men here on the show. And um, one of the things I saw on... Uh, Twitter was a claim that uh, said that New Zealand rugby were happy about that uh, that um, particip- participation numbers had gone up. Now, my experience is uh, from just from hearing around different clubs is not so positive. Uh, in that uh, various, uh, I know various clubs in the uh, Thames Valley region either are not putting out a Prem A team or aren't even putting out a team at all uh, in senior men's rugby. Uh, thinking of Tyra, for example, uh, who were champions, I think, two, two or three seasons ago now. Um, so um, I guess, boys, uh, with your experience traveling around and what you're hearing on the ground, uh, are you seeing participation numbers? Are you hearing about participation numbers being up in club rugby? Because I say, I'm seeing the opposite of, of, of that um, around this area. Look, I, I can't speak about other unions, but the Auckland circuit and especially my own club, we don't have under 21s this year. The reason is there's not enough numbers and that's, you know, reasonably concerning because given that we are one of the biggest catchment areas in South Auckland, 
you know, we can't field uh, 21s. But then if you look at suburbs out west, they've got two teams in their 21. So um, I think, uh, Paul and Steve, the, the important thing here is we have to actually look at the numbers and look at the numbers year on year and what the true uh, empirical evidence is. You can't just go on hearsay or what you feel or take look at one club. Uh, so I'd be really interested to see. But based on what I'm seeing, I, I, I would agree with you. Uh, it certainly looks like the participation numbers are down. However, the women's game is certainly thriving. Wherever mm -hmm. I go, I can see significant numbers coming through. But again, I'd like to see the registered number of players so we can get a true indication and a scientific rationale about which way we are trending. And, and, and to be fair, I think why he, um, I'm not, I don't think they had a women's team before, but I'll, I'll, I'll looking at putting a women's team in this year. So, yes, I, uh, I, you know, I can see that from that point of view, yes. So, Stephen. Yeah, Paul, I was about to say, um, like Boa, yeah, where are they getting these numbers from? Are they, uh, is it versus uh, last year's uh, 2020 COVID numbers? Where <clears throat> you probably would have expected <clears throat> there would have been quite a few teams down down on last year, and they would have. Uh, I'm not even sure if if you if you recall, I don't even think they went ahead with an under 21 uh, competition. Of course, they had that end of that um, end of year 21 well zonal competition shall we call it. So any numbers based versus last year, they, they're definitely going to be up on, on last year. So, yeah, I think to get more realistic would be probably mm. uh, 2021 v 2022 would probably be what would give you a, a more realistic look. But I do agree with the numbers on the, the women's game. And a lot of that comes through the, the Condor. When we see the Condor sevens at the end of the year, secondary school sevens, we see a lot of young females, especially coming through that, that road. We had a great conversation too uh, with a, a couple of girls from the uh, Auckland team, uh, Grace Kukutai and uh, also uh, um, Shannon uh, Leota. And uh, it was fantastic to talk to these uh, these young girls about their their experience and how they actually uh, started in rugby. Um, it, was, it was fantastic to hear. I should have actually had the camera on at the time, Paul. <laughs> That would have been good. Um, now, we're going to move on to some of the questions that we've had through Twitter. I put a post out earlier um, today asking you for questions on Twitter. Um, also, if you have any questions that you'd like us to deal with here or cover at news uh, on, on the Driving Wall Show, you can email me, paul at nzsportradio.com, um, and I'll include them in, uh, I'll take the best ones and include them in the show. So, uh, Stefan Minton, uh, um, and I'm sorry if I've got, a, got, your, got your surname wrong, Minton, uh, Seven, um, asks, rugby attack systems, why are some teams so hooked on one three three one or one two three two formations when it negates the strengths of the players in their squad? Um, and I guess this also comes off the back of what um, uh, Wayne Smith was saying on the breakdown the other week um, about how the pods are not leading, uh, the people that are seeming very married to this pod structure, that doesn't allow for continuity or possession uh, without a rug. So, um, Boa, as our resident um, coach here, um, what's your what's your thoughts on uh, why teams are hooked on one three three one or on this one two three two system? Very very simple explanation. Majority of teams and coaches, it's a comfort zone. They 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 hug this whole system. It's to me, it's just boring, predictable. It's like going to McDonald's. You know, you're not you're not prepared to do something funky for dinner and cook cook something cool. You just go to the drive through and say, "Can I have uh, blah 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 with some fries? Let's upsize it." Um, and you know, just because everyone else is doing it, uh, especially at high performance, 
you know, and then uh, the Wallabies of the, the early 2000s, they, they actually really kick-started this. It's very robotic. It's very, very predictable. Uh, and frankly, it's, it's, it's boring. Uh, gone are the days where teams would actually create strike moves from recycled position, you know, one, two phases out. Those days are gone. It's it's very, very predictable. One, three, three, one, one, four, four, one, two, three, three, two. It's just, you know, and 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 frankly speaking, I've I've been in a lot of um, you know, classroom sessions, even at I'm talking premier club grade level. We you know, we try to explain one, three, three, one, and some of these players, then they look at you and they think, what the hell are you talking about? So it's uh yeah, I, I, look, we, we just have to move away from this predictability. It's just really boring and it's actually ruining the game. Uh, the best example I can give you where success of moving away from this is the, the recent resurgence with France, what they did in the Six Nations. They didn't play this pattern. They just played attack rugby, offload after offload, and they looked to do strike moves off the very first phase. So to answer the question, it's it's a bit of comfort. It's it's uh, there's there is actually a, a scientific theory in management science called mimetic isomorphism. I'll say it again, mimetic isomorphism. So everyone morphs and mimics what the leaders of the industry do. So somewhere along the line, a grand team came along and said, "Let's do one, three, three, one." So everyone like sheep, they follow it, um, and it's kind of like you know how lawyers when you go to meet a lawyer uh, at top of the street. Everyone's in black with a white shirt and black tie. They talk the same lingo. They got the same credit card, uh, business card. And you go to see another lawyer two blocks down, they look exactly the same. So it's, it's, it's just try and, um, try and temper, uh, temper down the unpredictability and everyone wants to sort of kind of copy what everyone else is doing. And, um, yeah, it's like, it's like, like I said, driving through McDonald's and not actually wanting to go and cook something funky for dinner. I hope that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's like I say. Look, as you can see, we're not dressed like Sky Sports. We are, we're we're deliberately not being the, uh, the 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 McDonald's version of your rugby punditry, are we, Stephen? Exactly. Boy, you, I reckon you, I reckon you piece that together absolutely brilliantly. But more importantly, using the using the the, the pod system, you do make players robotic, and you take the instinctiveness away from the players and. That is that is to me that that's not a that's not a good thing. It actually, um, how how can I say? It takes, you know, you see these player players that are that are multi skilled, who can who can instinctively do things, and sometimes you'll you'll watch these players go throughout their career, and they're almost too scared to actually actually do it. They might have a fantastic rug, rugby brains. I've, I've I've seen a little bit of instinctiveness. From from one player, um, if I can use an example, but he's not a forward, and that's Falau Fakatava. Boy, he he's got he's got instinct, and he's not <clears throat> and he's not afraid to use it. Probably about you know I was a bit unsure of him at the very very start of the season, but he's got that instinctiveness. But if you look around at a lot of the forwards, boy, there's a real robot. There's a real robot robot theme about about him. Now you can be like robots, but you know we all understand how machines grind. <clears throat> there has to be accuracy with the with the machine because if it's not accurate, it falls down. Yeah, well, a really good example of someone who is not this whole McDonald's version of rugby was one of my mentors, the late great George Simkin. Now, George was a pioneer and innovator in rugby. He's, he's you know he was architect of the Hong Kong Sevens. Um, you know he he was a guy who actually encouraged players to 
utilize the skills they've been taught and and be free thinkers attack and play what's in front of you don't be predictable and enjoy the game so i think that element has been taken out by and large because they saw you know trying to trying to do uh, this transformer mcdonald version of um, high performance rugby and and frankly speaking it's just it's very very boring it's very predictable and from a defensive point of view uh, you know it's it's very easy to read and it it actually takes away some of your core competences what i would call your x factor skills especially out wide when you have guys who you know are raring to run out wide all you're doing is just setting up pods midfield it's just to me it's just brainless rugby and yet the counter argument would be that look because uh, defences have become so suffocating and so well drilled is that we have to have a more systematic and well drilled attack uh, to take that on, um, which is just uh, and that's that's kind of just just to play the devil's advocate there. Um, and I guess it, it is part of the legalization of um, of, of coachings uh, as whereas in league you have a uh, it's not as rigid as say American football, but you have a pretty, a, a fairly sta- a standard uh, um, platform uh, to which you base all your attacks off. Whereas with rugby union, it's much more fluid than that. Um, there are different options in uh, uh, across the pitch, uh, and taking uh, to, to trying to put a rigid approach into a fluid uh, situation, uh, you're going to end up with situations where it doesn't work. Um, interesting point here about nocturnal rights. Um, uh, he says, uh, that's the crazy talk of two playmakers was silly to me. In the past, every back was a playmaker. Now, I think he's overrating it a little bit there, but I, I get what he's saying. I get where, get where he's coming from. Um, I, can, I can just add something to, to Nocturnal, to why they actually do that. Having, having two playmakers just creates a lot of doubt for the defence, whether, whether, you, whether you've got a man standing to the left or the right. It just basically keeps, keeps the defence... On notice more than anything else, and if those guys are guys are multi-skilled and they can they can identify opportunities, that's that's, that's the whole plan. When it works well, it it can be it can be very very efficient. Unfortunately, um, it's it's something that the All Blacks um, pretty much trialed for a couple of years, and and obviously based based on results, you have to say that there was very very limited. It was it was limited in terms of success. Yeah, look, guys, uh, another, just jumping in quickly, a really good example of uh, how not to play this this robotic McDonald's version of rugby is, you recall the Brumbies, uh, ACT Brumbies, late 90s and early 2000s, where at the pairing of George Gregan and the great David Knox. Every time they had a set play, uh, a set piece, sorry, a scrum or a lineup, they'd call a set move and they'd attack from depth and you had runners running from all over the show. You know, it was like, um, you know, geometry, 101 angles all over the place and also if you go back and look at some of the the best strike moves if you recall that uh all black strike move it was called lotto numbers where he had all these multiple angles and players running outside and i think it was christian cullen this was an uh, athletic park in wellington when they uh, uh played the wallabies they scored that amazing try so all that sort of exciting stuff at the highest level unfortunately has been taken away it's been replaced by what i would call the x-factor counter kick counter attack so teams would kick at opponents and they get the opponents to kick back and they would try and create some kind of counter attack you know which is exciting don't get me wrong but um 
I would much rather see teams move away from this very predictable transformer like rugby and actually start playing some entertaining, fast, open pace rugby, much like what France did this year in the Six Nations. Yeah, I think a great exponent of that uh, counter-attack kick um, rugby was with the Highlanders with Ben Smith back there, uh, with clearly the idea being that if you can get a kick up and you can uh, retain, uh, sort of catch your own kick, you end up with broken field play. And it was a quick way of creating broken field play and, and not having a set defence to play against. Um, but it's, but it's, uh, And it is exciting when it comes off. But it's a matter of balance, isn't it? It's about it's. Um, we do like to see it. It is good, but we want to have it. If you if that's your only tactic, and we see constantly raining bombs, then uh, it's less fun um, as well. Um, so there we go, um, uh, Stefan. There's your answer as to uh, around the coaching side of things. Um, okay, then I think uh, we can I can hold off no longer. Um, it's uh, Silver Lake time uh, and uh, the fun and games that is going on around that one. Um, Scotty Stevenson, not someone that I'm, I'm a particular um, fan of, I'll be honest, but he did make a good point on Twitter when someone was talking about um, the Silver Lake thing. And he says, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the big questions is who leaked a, a two month old letter? Uh, and if we were talking about the, 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 the PR battle that's happening at the, at the moment, um, he said, yeah, have a look, have a look at that first. Uh, and yes, he's very, it's very true. But um, some of the things that have come out. Um, recently uh, around this one, uh, in addition to what we talked about last week, so I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about, uh, but uh, the players, one, one of the reasons um, that there is uh, apparently um, disruption between the Players Association and New Zealand Rugby is that New Zealand Rugby is asking the Players Association to take a cut in the um, uh, in the amount of revenue that gets paid to players. Uh, and the um, uh, from I think it's 35 or 38 something like that percent down to 30 percent um, uh, with the argument being um, that um, uh, because the whole pot will increase in size with the Silver Lake investment uh, will have a grow all the money income that actually there'll be more money for the players um, rather than less um, even though they take a, a lower percentage now the players unsurprisingly are going well hang on what if that doesn't grow like you say um, <laughs> then then you're basically asking us to take a pay cut. Um, so that's one of the reasons that they've had to bring in mediators um, around that. Uh, we've had then JK weighed in, and I must admit, JK is becoming one of the uh, one of my least favourite pundits um, during this. Um, who, uh, as Simon Hughes says, I'm wondering what business is it of, Jake, of John Kerwin insisting who to be in leadership of the players' union? Uh, John Kerwin is towing a very much, a very much a, a it sounded like a, a rugby, uh, New Zealand rugby um, uh, uh, well, well, spokesperson um, in disguise um, at the moment with some of the comments he's made, such as previously, oh, you should just trust the people of, of New Zealand rugby, the players, you should just trust them to do the right thing. Like, uh, no, not, <laughs> not, I'm not so sure about that one. But, um, but what do you think about this, this, this reduction, I guess, the, how the conversation is going between New Zealand rugby and the Players Association? Look, I think uh, the, the, the the art of negotiation is being put to test here. It's very easy to take the easy route and say, no, 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 look, I, I want a bigger share. I want a lion's share of guaranteed earnings. Or you could go the other way and actually be quite adventurous and be part of this, which clearly the Players Association are not willing to do, is where you take a, a upfront pay cut, 
but negotiate a better deal where you get a, a percentage of the TV revenue, much like what the UFC does with their pay-per-view model. So that then forces the players to be a key stakeholder when it comes to promoting. And of course, it's it's a performance-driven model because end of the day, if the players step up their game and if uh, there's more entertainment on the field, more you know they they they, they perform more consistently and win bigger. And once uh, Silver Lake's injection, because they're going to bring a lot of uh, expertise as far as broadcasters etc. concerned. And they will, there's no doubt, they will grow this and they will spread the game. So thereby, that gives the players an opportunity to tap in to that percentage of earnings soon as the TV revenue grows in. So I think rather than take a very conservative approach, but I get what the what the players are on about. Uh, but again, you got to change with the times. And no, I mean, if you really... To be fair, look, that's how it works at the moment. They, they get 30... Uh, well, the New Zealand rugby has to spend, I can't remember it's 35 or 38% of their revenue on players, they have to. That's that, that's that's what the that's what the current deal is. Um, and so, hence, the higher the revenue, the more money the players get. Uh, what News and Rugby are asking for is that the players have that reduced down to thirty percent. Um, and they're saying that as part of the New Zealand, part of the Silver Lake deal, they will grow revenues so that thirty percent of this big pot or this bigger pot is more than the thirty-eight percent of the current pot. Um, now, the players turn around, going, "How do we know the pot's actually going to grow?" I guess that's that. So, um, yeah. So that 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 really comes down to you know the transparency of information and actually looking at what lies ahead. So that's why I say the players have to then make themselves a very key stakeholder of this very business model. So that would mean that the negotiations, how they negotiate, what they negotiate on, and and maybe who negotiates on their behalf. They might have to get people who have more professional savvy uh, nows in such negotiations to the table. So, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a lot of change. It's not going to please everyone. Uh, but if I was in their position, which I'm not, that is the approach I would take. It's probably not the most popular and uh, most liked way of doing it. But I think medium to long term, the players will end up making far more revenue than they ever will. Stephen, your thoughts on, on how those conversations are going? Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I think I discussed it last week. I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of gesticulating going on by 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 various parties. And uh, yeah, I've read the Scotty Stevenson uh, tweet as 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 well, and it's uh, it it pretty much pretty much sums it up. But also, you know, playing its way in the background as well. Um, apparently, the All Black jersey might be taken over as well. Paul, um, there's uh, there's a report. Um, Coming out of Lakeep and Midi Olympic, that uh, New Zealand rugby is also negotiating uh, with a, a French construction materials company, company that's altered to replace AIG as the next yeah, uh, we'll, jersey, jersey sponsor. We'll talk about that one in a second. Yeah, um, but, yeah, so, uh, no, no, but, but, but it sort of leads it sort of leads back into where where they where they sort of uh, where they're sort of driving it. They obviously um, got a got a hand in a in a, in a couple of pies. At, at the minute, Paul, I, I personally, I, I, I just think there's, I think there's a, there's a lot at play here, at, at, at the minute. You know, obviously the, the union, unions are having their say, the players, rugby players, association, uh, are, are having their say, and, um, you know, you, you kind of wonder if there's information being leaked as well, guys, by, by, oh. by the rugby union themselves. Well, hang on. I, 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 I think there's information being leaked by both sides. 
to 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 their favourite um to their favourite reporters to to try and win the PR battle. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't point fingers at one side now. I'd point fingers at everybody. Um, some 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 uh, I guess something around the Silver, um, Silver Lake thing. Uh, Nocturne writes, "What will Silver Lake actually do with New Zealand rugby?" Well, that's all confidential until they. Get, I mean, they're not going to tell everything and say, "Hey, we do all of this. Here you go." Oh, oh, what do you mean you're not going to take our money? You're just going to do what we said we're going to do. Um, so, there's, <laughs> uh, so there'll be an element of that. So some of that stuff, uh, it's, that's definitely not in the public domain currently. Um, so we don't know what they will do, but they basically said that they will improve the marketing and therefore increase the revenues. And they have been very good at doing that with other sports um, in, in, in other areas. So, Paul, yeah, just to, just to quickly reiterate and answer to that, the what, what they're going to do is... They're going to put 20% up. And for that 20%, they will have revenue targets, what's what we call return on investment. So that it's it's a straightforward transaction. And the one side of it, they will be like absolute great white sharks. They will want to maximize their revenue in the least possible time. The how, the how they're going to do it is this whole cloak and dagger uh, <laughs> confi confidential stuff where we don't know. So I'm, I'm just hoping and praying purely from a from a grassroots and innovation point of view. I, I really hope that um, there is significant funding pumped into grassroots as well as R&D. By R&D, I mean, you know, getting more uh, volunteers, administrators in the grassroots game, coaches and players upskilled and trained up so that they can transition into the professional sport a lot better. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But I'm I'm very positive about this deal. Uh, you know, the the reality is uh, the sport can't continue in the same governance it shows, uh, and this has just caused a lot of disruption. And uh, you know, having having worked with the 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 big boy as well as all the the little brothers uh, right around the country over the last couple of years, trying to get my safe tackle framework through, uh, I, I I can say change change has to happen. It has to happen. Otherwise, it's just going to drive everyone nuts. And, um, and yeah, I mean, 10 years from now, the, the game will significantly suffer financially unless there is a serious change in financial and commercial direction. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it does. We do we require change. The only question is how. Um, so uh, Jordan puts in there, guys, thoughts and Razor's comment about how the Silver Lake deal could determine the decision of where his coaching future is headed. Very nervous times for rugby. Now, I guess what you're hearing from us now is, is, is our discussion around that. I mean, as, as Stephen says, there's a lot of moving parts. We've got uh, brand new TV uh, contracts um, that uh, came into effect uh, at the beginning of the year, but also have had to be renegotiated due to COVID. We've, had, uh, we've got the AIG sponsorship around the jersey coming up uh, finishes at the end of this year. We've just had uh, announcement around new sponsors for the NPC Farrah Palmer Cup Heartland Championship, um, as well as this Silver Lake thing. So I think if you could, um, pretty much every single revenue stream that New Zealand rugby has coming in is changing in about in in around about a twelve to eighteen month period. So uh, yes, this is a big state of change that we're not likely to see again for another decade um, uh, from, from a financial point of view. This is the biggest piece because I'd say pretty much every single um, commercial contract like a, uh, it, it ha has been up for renewal in this window. Uh, and you've got a brand new CEO arriving uh, during that. You've had a CEO who uh, 
uh, actually, sorry, the TV revenue started at the beginning of last year, but even so, over a two-year period, you're ending up with, with basically all of these things changing. Um, now, the uh, the next one is the, is, is the jersey and the Alterad option. Now, um, the, uh, <laughs> geez, of all the names to get involved with, Alterad should come with flashing warning lights of uh, danger, danger all over it. Here is a guy who was detained for 24 hours along with Bernard Laporte, or over 24 hours along with Bernard Laporte, only last year around questioning around rugby corruption. Um, is uh, Mr. Alfred, who happens to own Alfred Group, funnily enough. Um, so why, there is, why this is even, why this, they're even talking to him blows my mind, um, if they are, because it's only come from his side. I mean, of all, uh, seriously, yes, he is a very rich man, um, but he is so deep in French rugby as the owner of, um, oh, God, Montpellier, thank you. I knew we were with an M. His, his name is already on the front of the uh, French National Union, uh, French uh, National Jersey um, as well. I mean, El Shred, uh, is to me is a, is a name that should, that, uh, is something that you should not be talking to because, well, yeah, he is French. He's, he's so, uh, he is also part of the part, part of the funding behind um, France winning the next Rugby World Cup, which let's be honest, um, ended up with all sorts of question marks around how they did their bidding process against um, South Africa as well. So um, I, I see amber lights flying all over, flashing all over the place here, Stephen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just take the money. Take it with <laughs> <laughs> he, he wants to give us 30 million. Well, hey, then so, then, then, then so be it. Well, I have, I have to say, guys, 30 million. Okay, so it's it's, it's a drop in the ocean for this guy. Mohed Altered, uh, I think it was 2000, I think 2015 or 2016, Ernst & Young, uh, World Entrepreneur of the Year. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually uh, purchased an award for himself. But, hey, that's a, that's a different story. Um, yeah, look, um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, this is... Um, Interesting situation, guys. You know, 30 mil for two years to have Altrad, one of the biggest uh, building supplies companies in the European Union. You know, we're, we're talking a, a multi-billion dollar organization, multi-billion euro organization. Beg your pardon. Um, owner of Montpellier, very, 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 very passionate about rugby and he likes to win. He will win pretty much at any cost. So... Yeah, is, is that the culture we're, we're sort of inviting in? So, look, you can look at this in, in different angles. But, uh, yes, yeah, as, as Mr. S. Harris there said, take the money. <laughs> you know, in all, in all seriousness, though, guys, you have, a, you have a funny feeling there's definitely an angle here. Um, you know, he obviously owns Montpellier. He's passionate about that particular club. And, uh, you know, I, I personally think it's just his way of, maybe looking for a, a more di direct route to, to players as well. So there'll be a bit of that involved, no, no doubt. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's a dicey one. But listen, we're, 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 in, a, we're in a climate where if, if opportunities are, are out there, you may just have to take them at the end of the day. Don't necessarily agree with it, but hey. This, this, this one is, is, is 
Well, okay, some money just isn't worth touching. And in my mind, this is one of them. Um, to be blunt, it's a million dollars less than AI, uh, per year than uh, this is we're talking US dollars here now rather than uh, New Zealand dollars, but it's a, a million um, U US dollars less than AIG were paying in the past decade. He has come out and said that, uh, look, the uh, rugby financial landscape is not what it used to be and things aren't worth what they used to be. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, he's um, also mentioned that he perhaps doesn't like all the strings that are attached to the, um, the put, putting his name on the All Blacks jersey. And we can, we know that with AIG, um, uh, and, and I know someone says in, in the chat that AIG um, uh, is just as dubious. Uh, no, not necessarily. They they they, are, they don't have an, have an individual at the top um, that uh, that pulls things in the same way as a as, as an Alterad does. Um, but um, the we know that look for the All Blacks jersey, they don't have the box around AIG. Uh, it's 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 uh, relatively small uh, logo on the front, etc. So I can see him not being happy being constrained by that and as, as much as aig most people might not like it like aig i think they were respectful of the jersey uh, and understood how uh, if they were going to be accepted on the jersey which i think in in at the end they were they had to approach it with a with with, with, with that kind of way with that kind of mentality uh, as you say altrad's a winner who doesn't like to make compromises like that though well, simple solution. You know, if I had 30 million, which I don't, <laughs> safe tackle framework right across, the game would be much safer. Uh, yeah, what can I say? Lesser concussions, lesser head knocks. World rugby won't get sued with a class action suite. And it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? No, uh, I haven't got the baggage Mohit Eltrad has. Um, <laughs> what, what can I say? Um, and you also don't, yeah, but oh, oh, yes, brilliant. An all blacks jersey with a yellow line across at the nipple height ish, um, to, to, to indicate where the tackle line is. Oh, I can see how traditionalists would be up in arms over that, um, with having such a such such a glaring uh line on or or or. or Oh, oh but, but for 30 million, I'm, I'm sure they would all <laughs> nod and say, yeah, it's it's the greatest thing ever. We, we're trying to make game, make the game safer, lesser concussions. Why, why didn't we do this earlier? Well, simple fact is there wasn't, you know, 30 million in the kitty, but there is now. So that's I think that's going to be the, the key feature in all seriousness. Yeah, look, I, I can eventually see Altrad going right across the all-back jersey. Um is it a good thing or a bad thing? People argue saying yes or no. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just feel there's a sense of inevitability about this. And there would be some far, far deeper ramifications as well. But only time will tell. No, the All Blacks is one of the strongest brands in sport globally. Okay. Um, they will have suitors. And I think that uh, they can find somebody else other than Alterad uh, to go on there who is a, who is a safer uh, name on there. Uh, for the same amount of money, personally. So, yeah, I, it's, uh, um, I, I've, I've seen this come out in the press in France from him. Uh, so it's clearly he's looking at adding a bit of pressure um, to try to try and make it happen, I think. Uh, or, uh, But, um, yeah, to me, not a good move um, for that one for, for me. Um, 
another sponsor who has come in and I'm going to be doing a uh, supporters special now if you um, about this is Bunnings if you look at Bunnings an Australian company coming in to be the uh, the the sponsor of a new of a New Zealand institution and what's the first thing they do is they revert back to the original name of NPC right um, so again they're approaching it with respect to the tournament because they know that if they come in and call it the Bunnings Cup that uh, everyone's going to go wow Australians are taking over our cup our, our, our thing and it just would not go down well so um, yeah I, I, that's how a sponsor should approach it uh, I think is the way that AIG has done and the way that Bunnings are doing it um, rather than the way that I, I, I would imagine Elsrad would do um, so yeah um Yes, no? I agree, NPC. I mean, look, you know, whenever we've had conversations, you know, I've, I struggled actually use the term Mighty Ten Cup. I'm very old school. I just keep reverting to the term NPC, National Provincial Championship. So I think Bunnings will be very smart about this. You know, I mean, they've got some very clever cookies. And, you know, if you look, look at them as a company year on year on year, they've just grown tremendously. The revenue just keeps flooding in. So, you know, masterstroke on their part. And, um, yeah, I have to say, I feel a little bit sorry for Mitre 10. But hey, that's that's the world we live in. So love it. Bring back the NPC. Mm. I agree with me about the NPC. I don't agree. I, I don't think Bunnings was a good choice by um, uh, by, by New Zealand Rugby. But I say, uh, you, you'll hear all that in a supporter special that's coming out soon. Now, you can become a supporter of New Zealand Sports Radio uh, and help us produce uh, this content for you. Uh, and also, as I say, get access to those exclusive um, videos and articles uh, over at um, patreon.com forward slash NZ Sport Radio. It's scrolling across the bottom of the screen right now. If you're watching on um, Facebook, YouTube or Twitter, um, if you're listening on the old podcast, check out the podcast notes. There's a link in there uh, for you to uh, become a supporter as well. Um Cool. Uh, so we've done that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on names on the back of jerseys? Like, um, like we saw the, uh, I think it was the fourth do at the weekend. Personally, it's something we've seen in Europe, um, uh, in, in the English competition, and I like it. I like seeing the names on the back of the jersey because to me, well, it helps identification, helps fans uh, um, and supporters become uh, more attached to players to, because if you recognise them, you become more attached to them. Uh, and to me, I'm all for putting names on the back of jerseys. And oh, oh, and Stephen takes himself off mute, he'll be able to talk. Absolutely, I fully agree, Paul. And also from a commentary point of view, it's a lot easier. Unless you're Keith Quinn, you're not going to know all the names in the correct pronunciation. So, especially with the Pacific Island names, I think the more it's again, it's a, it's a visual cue as well for the spectators, much like my safe tackle framework. <coughs> Sorry, I can put that in. Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm look. I'm all for names. Um, you know, we've we've actually seen in other sports where they've they actually had their pet name or nickname on the back of their playing shirt, which again, you know, is 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 a great way to connect with the uh, with the fans. And it's 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 a really nice way to bring more punters, new punters into the sport because there's that whole casual, friendly nature about it. So I'm I'm all for it. Um, hopefully, it takes off. And hopefully, uh, too many of these traditionalists in the institution, the big, great institution, don't have too much to uh, bitch and moan about. 
okay, I'm going to go the other way, guys. Oh. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll explain my reasons. Here comes the bit for no. And I'll, I'll, I'll explain my reasons why. Um, listen, those jerseys, like when you're given an international jersey or a provincial jersey, you're, you're only the custodian of that jersey while you're in it. It's for, any, it's for anybody to basically run with and, and grab during, during, during their career. So it kind of, for me, it just stays a little bit sacred. It, it's, anybody, it's anybody's jersey. Like we can all think of the, the great players that have either worn an all-black jersey or a, or a, or a blues jersey or, or, or whatever, whatever, even, even for specific clubs. But um, I, just, I just like the fact that, you know, when you put that jersey on, you're only really you're, you're only holding on to it or wearing it for an, an extended period of time until somebody else gets to wear it. I can understand all the commercial reasons that you uh, you guys have, have, have mentioned before, but hey, that's me. Now, they're, they're very very difficult to argue against that, Stephen. You know, I I fully agree with that. It's uh, sacred. No one no one owns or leases. It's it's just a very short. You know, you it's a privilege to wear that number, especially uh, you know if you're incumbent or you know, incoming all black. So I, I completely understand that. And it's it's a point very hard to, you know, I, I couldn't agree I couldn't uh, argue against that very point. You know, it's well, a bit like Colin Needs, of course, which where, where they've retired his uh, club number. Yeah, oh exactly. But I mean to say how often I've I've seen like past Barcelona Barcelona soccer shirts around. Um and it's got somebody's wearing a, a shirt with Messi's name on it. And, uh, you know, for me it's just a bit uh, but it's 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 a little bit tacky. Although I I understand the football and the commercial reasons or, and plays that go with it. But I mean, aside, you know, there's some just those certain values that we've got in rugby that I'd like to see stay. Yeah, no, to me, look, uh, the and and the name would the number would stay the same, but the name would change as different players get selected. Uh, is this how it works in the UK? No. And to me, it's it's not so much about the commercial side, but more about the recognition side by the by. by the, by the fans and by the community, by, by the commentators. Um, so, yeah, but, but fine. Yeah, no, I, I get your point on that one. Um, so then, uh, Triple T B um, or Trans Tasman Travel Bubble, and what does it mean for rugby? Um, now, what does it mean for rugby league? Um, well, join us tomorrow at eight pm for the standoff show when uh, Boa um, and Richie will talk about not Boa Richie, Brad and Richie. We'll talk about um, the, the impact to NRL, um, and then also the standoff show. And join us at nine PM for the next newsletter where Connor uh, and uh, I'll come blank as to the rest of them there. Um, Dan will also um, discuss it from a Phoenix point of view as well. But um, uh, tonight, Doctor, <laughs> you use a marker pen rather than having the jersey printed. Uh, <laughs> you get to write your name on the, <laughs> at the end. Um, that reminds me of when, um, oh, I've gone uh, when um, uh, Sonny Williams put tape across uh, the, uh, the bank. B and Z. That's yeah. right. <laughs> the bank, the bank, the bank which pays a whole three point eight percent interest back yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, wait, yeah, but for a rugby point of view, uh, what does the Trans-Tasman travel bubble mean? Um, and I think pretty simple, guys, um, that uh, the um, Trans-Tasman, Super Rugby Trans-Tasman uh, can actually happen. 
it can, and I'm looking forward to the Kiwi sides absolutely thumping those sides. <laughs> that's that that that's going to be the real highlight. Uh, but look, I, I think the timing couldn't be better, uh, especially with this whole Silver Lake thing happening and all the commercialism which is being discussed. And um, you know, this will now give uh, both unions uh, an opportunity to look at getting other sides into the country, keeping them in a biological bubble and working around all the uh, restrictions so that we can actually get more inter, uh, country, you know, countries playing each other in a, in a controlled environment. So I think it's fantastic. Um, and, it, you know, frankly speaking, it's, it's long overdue. Well, yes, I was trying to keep away from the political side as to when it should have been decided and how it should be decided and whether it Sorry, should I, I, I just have said that. and all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll leave that to, uh, to other um, political and travel podcasts. Um, but for what we get, trans is going to happen, but also, as Boa makes the point there, it does also mean the rugby championship can go ahead as well. Um, South Africa can come over, um, the, uh, the uh, as can Argentina. They can come over, settle down in both Australia and New Zealand for a, well, six weeks worth of games um, plus probably a couple of weeks of quarantine for them to get in, but they can come and stay for a couple of months, play all those games um, in that bubble, and uh, and it work out. You know, not, they don't even have to bubble. It's not like when um, I'm trying to think it was Pakistan or was it West Indies went to um, England to play England at cricket, and they 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 weren't allowed to leave the hotel that was attached to the to the cricket ground. Um, now look, the, the the teams will have perfect freedom. Um, as well as uh, uh, to, as well as the ability to, to travel um, backwards and forwards. So yeah, look again. Also, the rugby championship will be able to go ahead. Um, what I think they should also use it for is for the um, J- July Tests window, um, where you've got Fiji and uh, um, Italy. Uh, I don't know who else is supposed to be playing the All Blacks and also Australia. But again, there's an opportunity there for some extra games to be played between those teams if they fancy it um, as well. And I think. Um, it could could be done. We we could have a reenactment of the two thousand two game, uh, Crusaders v Waratahs at Jade Stadium. Remember that ninety six points to nineteen, hiding which the Crusaders gave the Waratahs. We we could very well reenact that this year if that game goes ahead. The um, sorry, I, I got distracted by comments in uh, in, in, in the chat there, Rob Boa. Um, my bad. That's okay. uh, around, around that one. Um, the uh, well, yes, Nocturne Rice um, had a mini World Cup feeling or something. Yes, but that's uh, that's what Australia suggested last year, and everyone went, "No thanks." Um, <laughs> so, uh, Paul, I, I was about to say, I think I was actually messaging you, but uh, I hope Aaron doesn't have any family or friends in Wellington because I don't think he'll ever be invited back oh. ever again. <laughs> <laughs> um, he does, by the way. Does, so um, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, or at least, um, or at least, family in law, um, at the very least. Um, so, um, uh, so yes, <laughs> is, is that one? Um, so yeah, look, it all—that's that, basically what trans bubble means. Uh, it, there is an element of risk, though, folks, because um, look, both sides. Uh, so interestingly, Western Australia is not part of it. So this, so whilst it is Australia, it's not all of Australia. Uh, which is interesting. Uh, so the force will have to uh, play all their home games away um, on on that one. Um, but apart from, but I think it includes all of the rest of Australia, apart from Western Australia, 
which is about half the country, isn't it? But most of it's desert, so who cares? Well, that's that's very unfortunate for Western Australia, and may the force be with them. And mm -hmm. but that 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 said, I don't think we're missing anything by not seeing the force, because boy, uh, yeah, just. Yeah, I mean, oh, no, look, I, I, I'm, I, the force will be involved. They just have to play their home games away from home in either Sydney or Melbourne. Yeah, and, and of course, it'll cut down the travel time significantly. I mean, you know, flying to Perth, I remember the last time I flew to Perth, all I remember was, uh, you know, just flying over desert for hours on it. You know, it's, it's kind of like flying to Singapore. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't think there's going to be a significant impact. And um, yeah, frankly, I, I can't really see. Uh, the force and the Waratahs and, and pretty much any of those Australian sides, you know, beating any of the Kiwi sides. The um, uh, Rights asks here, is that what West Australia do? Is that the politicians are more control? Um, look, for political content, go and check out this, go and check out some other websites. We're not discussing, I'm, I'm not going to go down that route, but yes, uh, West Australia is not part of the travel bubble um, from what I have seen. Um, Looking at their official West Australia website, not just not just relying on Twitter, folks. I know because not not everything that's said on Twitter is true. Um, so be careful. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, look, uh, look on a personal level, I think the Reds uh, and the Brumbies will give most of the uh, New Zealand sides um, a run for their money. Um, uh, I don't think there was I don't think there's be one sided contest. Uh, but um, the I, I can't see them challenging the Blues and the or the Crusaders and probably the Blues. But they'll be able to give the Highlanders, uh, the Hurricanes. And the Chiefs at decent games um, in that one, I, I think. But um, Boa, we'll, 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 um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one and uh, and discuss that when it when, when it when it happens. And the good thing is when it happens, not if it happens now, which is the uh, which is something that's, that's nice to um, nice to say. And uh, yeah, hologram two pack um, says yeah agrees. Yeah, the, the Chiefs, the Brummies could give the Chiefs a run. He thinks. Um, Slowly wrapping things up then. Uh, any news on the Lions tour progress? No, nothing apart from... So the, the last news we had was a couple of weeks ago saying that it's going to happen in South Africa. Um, that So the tour will go ahead as planned. Uh, but, but there was still... But there was no announcement around what was going to happen to fans. Um, and, and let's be honest. Uh, if, you, if you're going to travel to South Africa, then... Uh, well... It'll be a, an interesting choice to make. I think is how I put it nicely um, on um, on that one. Um, so yeah, nothing else new there. Any uh, final things we've not so discussed that you guys want to have a quick chat about? Uh, well, a couple of uh, Australian players. I have the names elude them, but uh, significant trend. Uh, they seem to be uh, committing their allegiance to Japan. So I think we'll see a bit of a trend there with some of the younger high performance academy players wanting to play and be involved in Japan. A bit of a trend, I think, uh, which should alarm Rugby Australia because as things are, they are struggling to uh, find quality numbers. So this is, uh, you know, maybe this is the beginning of uh, Exodus. And also, if you look at the South Africans, the amount of Springboks who play in, in Europe now is, is, is tremendous. So we're going to see a lot of Springboks or South African-born players imported into most of these European sites. And I think over the next five to ten years, the makeup of uh, player migration is going to be immense. And the face of world rugby is changing quite significantly. 
So be be very interesting to see where all this goes, how some of the residency rules are further shaped. Um, is uh, is it going to have a, a further tweak? Are the players going to have a say? Are the Pacific Islands rugby going to have a further say? Because you know they've been given a little bit, and now all of a sudden there's you know more happening, and guys like uh, Mohit Altrad wanting to come get involved with New Zealand rugby. I wouldn't be surprised if half the future contracted baby blacks end up playing for France. So here we go. Um, the, there is um, a couple of young Aussies, as you say, uh, have uh, declared. So uh, we're talking about, um, you're talking about Dylan Riley um, and uh, uh, has um, declared his allegiance to the Brave Blossoms. He's apparently the third Australian race player uh, to do that, um, including uh, Jack uh, Cornelson um, and also... Um, uh, the and Ben Gunter, uh, also uh, 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 other other ones who are, who are um, putting themselves forward for um, the uh, for, for Japan uh, instead of Australia. Now, I would say this is something that's, 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 that has been happening in Europe with Pacific Island players and also Australian players. Look at people like James Lowe playing for Ireland, for example. Um, he went all the way through to the Chiefs uh, and played for the Maori All Blacks uh, before heading over there. So, well, this is nothing new. I think the difference here is that this is probably the first, these are the first players we're seeing it happen at this young age who haven't got, um, as far as we're aware, close ties with Japan, doing it with Japan. I think that's, so basically Japan is now becoming an England, a France, an Ireland, a Scotland. It's an extra one of those doing that, that um, rather than necessarily being anything new or Japan doing anything new that hasn't been done before. It's, it's been done before, but mainly by European sides. Um, so let's not uh, let's not start blaming or too much finger pointing at Japan on this one. Um, oh, but, uh, not at all. I'm just stating the fact, and I think the interesting pattern is we will see more and more uh, players from Manuka Rose and Saint Kitts get imported to to the, the to Australia, and then strangely enough, find their way in Japan. So. Watch out for that trend as well. <laughs> I think also another trend is also that, that I saw post Rugby World Cup was the uh, previously you quite often saw your, your fly halves, wingers, etc. going, but after the last Rugby World Cup, locks were the big position in demand globally, and I think we're going to see that more and more. Um, is that locks are, be are becoming much more will become much more the uh, the premium player within a team um, purely because of the fact there are only so many people who are tall enough to be locks, um, and so the number of uh, the the the, uh, the number of locks available is going to be less than quite a lot of other positions. So, um, yeah, absolutely, I think we're going to see a change there in how uh, uh, in, in demand for different positions. Yes, yeah, Saint Kent's and King's College have no shortage of locks. So there you go. <laughs> well, Saint Kent's will just go and buy a couple of schools from down south. Um, yeah, that's right. Auriri, Auriri College, uh, Mangari College. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> um, as far as I'm aware, Arun, uh, that no, Joe Wheeler has not been contacted by Japanese rugby to be a sideline commentator. <laughs> now he's, he's, he might have a shot with, with uh, based on what he did with uh, Donald Trump's upcoming uh, social media network as a moderator. <laughs> okay. and, and actually, okay, on, on this one, on a serious note, the fact that Joe Wheeler, by the looks of things, has got away with just putting out an apology tweet um, for what he did live on TV 
is disgusting. There should be much more, um, to my mind, there should be much more uh, 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 some sort of um, disciplinary action. Uh, he should along a bit like the players got dropped for for a uh, for a game. He should have been dropped for a game or a weekend or two as well uh, to show that look this that this kind of behaviour is not acceptable uh, nowadays in this country. Um, Paul, Paul, I have I have got one thing. I, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going I'm just going to show a piece of video. I don't think I don't know how well oh. it will come through. Don't worry. It's just BT. It's from I won't mention the the channel so they won't know who they are. Um, hopefully you guys will be able to maybe oh, oh. maybe maybe see that or to stop. Oh, fifty click. Yeah, it's a, it's basically a it's basically a still picture. I don't, I'll try and get the. There you go. You can just basically see it. There you go. Um, yeah, just okay. So hang on. So, so before you go on, so, so for those of you who are listening on the podcast rather than watching the video, what watching us on uh, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Um, Basically, Stephen has just shown the uh, basically the gif of uh, the tackle on Fafta clerk uh, at the back of a ruck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've looked at. I'm not sure what sort of category that you actually put it in because if you if you I've watched now. I've watched the that's just obviously the gif or, or the gram. I've watched it in its entirety, and Fafta clerk has his hands on the ball for a very very long time. He could have cleared it straight away. If he cleared it straight away, he probably wouldn't have taken taken that hit. That's the first thing I've got to say. Um, I suppose you probably put it in a sort of. It's a, it's a clumsy to me. It's a clumsy looking tackle that's probably worth a penalty at the end of the day, but probably not enough for a yellow or red card sanction. But I think there probably should have been a, a penalty of sorts because it is kind of dangerous. He's he's obviously got his legs. Well propped apart, well propped apart to either pick up and pass or or kick. But the one thing under the, one thing you do notice on there, he takes a long time to clear the ball. He's got his hands on the ball, which makes him unfortunately open game. Um, well, I know. Well, again, um, I've not taken a referee course recently or ever, to be honest, and I've uh, not followed up on this one. But uh, is it is is the current ruling hands on the ball? Is the current ruling the ball has been lifted off the ground? That it comes into Lift, play, lifted off the ground. So under the current under the current rules, I'll, I'll give give an answer to both. Uh, so let's let's address Faf de Klerk. Um He did nothing wrong. There is no time limit. It's up to the referee. If he calls, use it. Then you have to use it. But then again, if you take ten different referees when they say use it, and if you time it on a stopwatch, you will have ten different time slots for ten different referees. So for me, use it means use it straight away or lose it. And the uh, the clean out under the current framework, that's a red card. That is direct, forceful contact and impact shoulder to the head. No question about it. So how the referees, the TMOs, uh, the, the touch judges, everyone missed it is beyond me. So here's where genius comes in. Orange card. <laughs> Orange card. There you go. I mean, I, I look. The, the reality is under the current rules. What I've just told you is is what it is. So you can't really go and change any of that. So you have to make the call based on that. But you know, Steve, I, I get your point, and you know, there's got to be a little bit of common sense. So, so these are some of yeah. the areas which World Rugby really need to 
you know, come down on instead of treating the symptoms of the problem, get to the root cause. So if it's yeah. use it, you have to use it. If you don't use it, you lose it. One, 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 thing, I, one thing I will say, there is a bit of history between these uh, uh, two players. They, they've had a crack at each other um, when obviously Jake Ball's been playing for Wales and Fifth de Klerk has been playing for South Africa. So I do wonder if there's a little little bit more of, of a payment because you probably, you know, once he, what's he, probably an 18 stone guy landing on a, a guy who's probably no more than 75 kgs um, and was designed to do a bit of damage. And, and of course, I have to say, guys, there's a significant act of negligence on the part of the referees and the sanctioning uh, rugby. Uh, there's a European rugby uh, commission here, which is... Faf de Klerk did not go out for an HIA. There was significant impact to the head. So, so this this is the sort of rubbish. This is the sort of negligent behavior. Uh, the past players are actually trying to sue World Rugby by using a, a, a class action suit. So to, to, to throw, the, throw a stat at you guys, the last 50 cards and penalties involving collisions or head contact, there were only six players who actually went out for an HIA, which is which is a staggering statistic. Okay, so here we're talking about the player, that, uh, the, the non-offending player, the player that's been offended. Has the victim. Yeah, the victim, yeah. And clearly there was, there was significant contact. So under the current rules, that's a red card. No question. Yep. Okay, interesting. So to me, uh, I, I was like, well, look, he's uh, as soon as he lifts the ball, he's fair game. If he's crouched down, where how is... He's supposed to tackle him. He's, 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 he has significantly lowered his height. Therefore, if you just dive on top of him, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so, yeah, interesting how how we can two people can well three people can read a situation very differently. Yeah. So, so based on the current yep. high tackle framework and contact and collision, then you have to follow the framework. So, it's I mean, there well, yeah, significant... but, but, sorry, you're allowed mitigating factors. So, one of the mitigating factors is. He has lowered himself pretty much to be head at ground level. Um, but anyway, was, he, was he sighted? No, no sighting, no. nothing. It's considered perfect. Yeah, it, it was considered perfectly acceptable what he did. So personally, I would, I would never pull out a red card, but that's just me. But under the with 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 the current set of laws, yeah. uh, nine times out of ten, that would have been a red card. There would have been a citation. So that's where I think the orange card comes in handy. Saying, look, I think, I think there's look. Under the current framework, yeah, there is significant impact, but there's a bit of mitigation. Uh, I don't want to send players off for this. Let's say the judiciary sorted itself out. And all, all chances are, if you get a good lawyer, uh, a, a Queen's counsel, you, you can easily get off the charge as well. So there's that avenue in the professional game. Cool. Um, has Will Jordan been cited? Not that I'm aware of. No. Um, and neither has Karifi. Uh, um, should he have got red card on Saturday? Uh, no, that's uh, they uh, you went through. I think they were, they were pretty clear as to what was happening in those ones. So, yeah, sorry, Bob. I, I have to say, the best commercial value from all the sponsors in all of professional rugby are getting at the moment it has to be spec savers because the amount, <laughs> the amount of the amount of non decisions, the non citations, surely. I mean, guys, think about it, you know, everywhere you go into a, 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 a rugby club. It eventually goes to one one stakeholder there. That's the referees and spec savers. So yeah, what can I say? Hmm. <laughs> um, and they Pete. 
and deep thinkers. There you go. <laughs> very, 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 and, uh, very, like very soon. Very soon to be replaced by Altrad. <laughs> well, guys, thank you very much, Bella. Thank you very much, Stephen. We've overrun, but hey, it's been an absolute blast. I've enjoyed it. Thank you, everybody um, who has uh, joined us in the, uh, the the live chat. Yes, we will be using Offers Lawyer from now on. Uh, thank you, everybody. And uh, do join us uh, next uh, Tuesday um, at uh, 8 p.m. for the Driving Ball Show. 